This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. At Bunnings Trade, we're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. It's Justin Marshall and Ricardo Ball with the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run on SENZ. Ratima, Tom, there it is, Tupaya, shifting it away, Kane, and out for Stevenson, oh what a finish, absolutely brilliant, again Christie, valiant on defence, away to the left, so a cooler, big tackle, off for the Chiefs, numbers away to the left, they're going to score, they're going to win it, there it is for Rameka Puyepi, there it is for the Chiefs in Christchurch. Yeah, this is the Rugby Run with Bunnings Trade. Helping business is our trade. Ricardo, Paul, Justin, Marshall with you. And Marshy, what an end to that game uh, last night between the Crusaders and the Chiefs. And, you know, the only surprise really for me was that it took the uh, Chiefs that long to cross the line. Man, the Crusaders' D was amazing, wasn't it? Yeah, good afternoon to you, Ricardo. Uh, all the listeners out there joining us um, and equally Bunnings, great to have their support. Thank you very much for that, uh, mate. What a weekend! Holy moly! Like yesterday, uh, look, I, I, I think I was really maybe like a lot of the listeners out there crying out for a game of rugby like that. I think the opening round produced some really good quality, uh, and then I think subsequently the next two rounds, I think teams in general have got have gone a little insular. They've, they've They've recognised how tough this competition is. They've not had it all their own way. Uh, and they recognised uh, how you need to bank your wins as much as you can. Otherwise, you lose touch. And I think the rugby suffered. And certainly, um, you know, the at QBE Stadium, the, the Blues and the Highlanders wasn't vintage rugby. And there have been games in the round previous that weren't great either. But two quality teams who have been winning titles in the last decade went toe-to-toe last night in what was just an outstanding game of rugby. And I think rugby's grateful for the performance that they produced for us. You know, there had to be a winner and there had to be a loser, but I think big-time rugby was the big winner on the night. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a fantastic game. I was on the edge of my seat, Marshy. Um, you you would you would you would have seen the seen the bet that I sent through at either side uh, seven and a half yes. uh, to, uh, to win by under seven and a half. And I was I was just hoping near the end, particularly when the uh, when the Chiefs sort of took took that uh, kick for the line and and uh, were throwing it around. I was like, please, Severus, don't inter- don't intercept this, don't intercept this. But <laughs> I didn't have a horse either way in the race. But man, it was an edge of the seat game the whole way through. Oh, you're a classic gambler too, Ricardo, aren't you? You only ever tell everybody about your wins. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I, um, like the, the dr- dramatic finish uh, was was building and, and the, you could feel that there was going to be something that was going to break. And it was just whether or not the Chiefs could be patient enough 
to break what was outstanding defense from the Crusaders, who you could tell had their heart and soul into to winning and defending their line. Uh, and it was a matter of, yes, whether or not the Chiefs would eventually give in uh, and lose the patience battle, or whether or not the Crusaders' defence would eventually break. And it took a monumental effort to, to break that resilient defence. And you, you were just thinking, is this drama going to be a, 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 a intercept or a missed opportunity, um, and all of a sudden the Crusaders are going to go and take the bonus point away from the Chiefs, which they can do to teams, uh, you know. And, and, and I think that's probably what added to... The, the, you know, like that that anxiety that probably that a lot of people who were backing the Chiefs was feeling because that's what the Crusaders can do to you. Like, you just feel like your team is on top and have the massive momentum and then they've got such uh, an ability with their attacking weapons to turn defence into attack and all of a sudden the game is gone. And and you and the, that inevitability, I guess, was probably what everyone was watching. It's like... How can the Chiefs just keep going here? The Crusaders are going to do something, but that didn't happen. And and again, I I, I say this with uh, the utmost honesty. Um, and and you know I, I was involved in a very good um, era with the Crusaders, and they are still very much uh, in my heart for that. But I think the competition possibly needed that result. Mm. Uh, if if the Crusaders continue continued on their merry way, and were basically untouchable uh, and no team could topple them, um, there's a sense of inevitability about the competition. So all of a sudden, there, there's a lot to talk about, you know, and there's a, there, there, you know, I'd imagine that, that the, the other sides in the competition felt a huge sense of relief that, yes, they, they are beatable and we can beat them if we turn up on the day like the Chiefs did. So... You know, equally, the Crusaders know that this is not a competition. They can walk into it and, and tick the box, and, and it's a sure foregone conclusion that they're going to win it. So it's just been a massive spark for this comp. I think it's brilliant. It's been fantastic. I mean, and the thing is that this, the Chiefs didn't have it all their own way. I mean, in that first half, I think it was pretty – it went pretty back and forward for 20 minutes, but the last 20 minutes of the first half was all Crusaders, and the Chiefs held out well. What, what do you think changed in the second 40? I think you're absolutely right. I thought the Crusaders were a little off in the first half, uh, but they were still stereotypical Crusaders. When when they needed uh, something to happen, they made it happen. And when they struck with their try to Braden, I mean to David Harvili, off a set piece move, and they pulled out to that lead right on half time with the Richie Moanga um, penalty kick. You just thought that they probably won't come out in the second half and um, be not dominated, but just a little off their, their, their rhythm. Uh, and certainly that was the case when they came out of the sheds because it was all Crusaders, all Crusaders. The tempo that they came out of the sheds with was just lifted massively. And then Braden then all scored off a nice pass from Cody Taylor and you, and the Chiefs found themselves, I think it was 11 or 12 points behind. And you just thought, okay, the Crusaders have had a bit of a rev up at, at halftime. They've changed the tempo of the game. They're going to pull away with this now. And obviously with the Chiefs missing a few key individuals, the likes of Brad Webber, you know, you just thought that there was, again, the the, the writing was on the wall. But by hell it wasn't, was it? And uh, I, I just think um, there's a spark that 
uh, ignited the Chiefs when the game looked lost. Uh, whatever way they went about finding that, uh, I thought that at the forefront of that was, you know, the un- some of the unnoticeables, that, which is guys like Brody Retallick and uh, Samasoni Takiaho, uh, you know, the, even Angus Tarvel, um, you know, some of their, their their key players just really stood up. And, um, yeah, the, 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 the shift in momentum was quite significant. And, and I think when you looked at the Crusaders afterwards, they... They were uh, they weren't shell shocked, but they were just they they, they they didn't have an answer to what the the Chiefs were throwing at them in that final quarter, which is really unusual. Yeah, that 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 was the thing. I just kept waiting for the Crusaders to get the ball back mm. and then march downfield and set up a period of dominance, and they just didn't seem able to. Though they were in effect a lot of the time just kicking the ball out so they could get a rest. Yeah, and a few things went wrong for them you know they had some opportunities which were rare in the second half and, and statistically the Chiefs were behind on basically every single stat at half time so possession territory time in the opposition 22 all of the key stats even the ta- that even the tackles were basically even so you know the the, the Crusaders at that stage um the, the game was really well balanced but you felt they just had a little bit more up their sleeve uh, because they hadn't you know, probably dominated the game like they dominated the stats. Uh, but in the second half, that dramatically changed. <laughs> and, um, the, and, and the the Crusaders then couldn't find their mojo. They they had, you know, they had a couple of set-piece mishaps. They couldn't get their hands on the ball. Um, and they found themselves just constantly tackling. And I think I said it in the commentary at one stage. I said, well, there's one thing that this is going to do for them, and they they operated. Believe it or not, they made they made 242 tackles. Yeah, uh, and the Chiefs only made 84. Um, but the tackle succession rate was 90. percent So they 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 were very very good at tackling, but they had to do a lot of it. And what that means is you are continually fatiguing and fatiguing and fatiguing and. I think probably what happened to them was because of that fatigue, when they actually did get their hands on the ball, they're usually so potent. They just made some fundamental poor decisions and some errors simply because I think they were tired. Yeah. Well, what, is, what sort of knock-on effect does that have for a team with that volume of tackles one week to the next? Particularly, you know, if um, Scott Barrett and a few others are out with COVID, they're probably not going to be able to play next week because they'll still be doing their isolation. Um, I mean, mm. could this impact the performance against the Blues? Yeah, it'll take them a bit to get over that that sort of amount of tackles. You know, like the I think Ethan Blackadder was the top tackler at 25. Christie wasn't far behind him on 23. Um, you know, Sam Whitelock was up near near around. They were twenty. They were they were all asked to go deep to the well defensively. And you know, like let's face it, everybody out there that's listening, regardless of what your sport is, whether it's whether it's uh, tennis or golf or netball or cricket or wherever, whatever sport it might be, we all like to have our turn attacking and we want to play with the ball. You know, yeah. that's why we play the game. It's like you know what. Uh, give, give, let me have a turn with the ball. You have your turn, and then I'll have my turn. And you know that that's simply because you know when you when you have the ball, you're dictating the game, and you, you can decide to kick it away, you can decide to um, hold on to it. But 
uh, you know, that's up to you. And and what was the big problem for the Crusaders was they didn't have that um, ability. So they, they were then dictated to for, for pretty much predominantly the whole entire second half. So that they will have some sore bodies and some fatigue because players, when you reach, like, put it this way, when I say 242 tackles, generally in an 80-minute game of rugby, a team that's probably 50-60% possession um, but having to make more tackles would be up around the 120-130 tackles for the team. So the Crusaders are well, uh, well above that. They've exceeded that monumentally, and that will have an impact, um, you know, regardless of whatever virus is floating around, um, that that is rugby fatigue that they'll be suffering from. And they're going to have to be, given they have got some um, problems within their camp and players missing, the squad depth has been challenged. It's going to be a big ask for Scott Robertson this week to manage that team, manage that fatigue, because it doesn't get any easier. They've got the Blues turning up at the weekend. Yeah, you're exactly right. This is the Rugby Run at Bunnings Trade. We're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. We're going to continue to talk super rugby. We're going to touch on some Six Nations as well. And if you're following the cricket or you want to know where the cricket commentary has gone from the World Cup, if you've got the SENZ app, uh, it's available there. Or you can download the SENZ app and continue to listen to uh, Daniel McCarty and the crew bringing you the game between the White Ferns and Australia. And I can tell you, uh, currently, uh, Australia 137 for four into the 35th over. That's where things sit. We'll continue to update throughout the show. Up next, though, we go to uh, Scotland's answer to Jeff Wilson. Paul Flaney, he's up next here on the Rugby Run. Yeah, 16 past one here on SENZ. This is the Rugby Run with Bunnings Trade. We're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. Uh, the uh, White Ferns have the Aussies at 141 for four, just into the 36th over. Joining us now to talk some rugby, though, is uh, Brendan Laney. G'day, Brendan. How you doing? Yeah, good things, bud. Good, good, I don't know if you if you know the term Schnadenfreud, but I mean, as a Highlanders fan, does it does it make it easier getting through the week when you live in Christchurch and the Saders have just lost after what your team dished up on Friday? Well, <laughs> <laughs> <all> now, <laughs> especially when my business partner played a hundred games for Canterbury, uh, Chris England, so that's going to make my week real good. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, mate. I bet. Hey, uh, I mean, coming into that game against the Blues on Friday night, you know there was that late news, the changes to the Blues, no boat and Barrett, a few others out as well. Um, I had thought about this and I looked at Thomas Umunga Jensen and the way he had performed last week and looked at the you know the, the fact that um, uh, Brownie had probably put out his best team and I thought, man, the Highlanders are every chance here. And they were paying 350 at the TAB. I don't mind telling you that I lost some money on that one, Justin. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, Brendan, uh, when you saw that, I mean, were, were you thinking, oh, we're not going to be 0-4 here. We'll pick this one up. Well, look, to be fair... Uh... It's like any team when they get um, get a bit of pressure put on them, and you know, like you said, they were 0-3 at the time. I thought that they were, they were due a win, um, and, and, and you're right, they were probably um, everything was sort of starting to align for them a bit. Um, the Blues had a few guys out. Um, the Gordie Hunter Memorial Trophy's up for grabs, which always makes the the Honda boys get up. But um, but unfortunately. Um, there was a lot of time, but um, uh, you've got a hand at this blue side. They're, they're a bloody good outfit, aren't they? The Leon McDonald's got them playing some great rugby, and um, and they scored some tries, which uh, um, if you go back a few years, the Blues probably wouldn't have scored. So, um, 
you've got to hand it to um, the Blues the way they played, but it was disappointing from the Highlanders in some respects. Um, losing losing Umanga Jensen probably didn't help too much. He was the best attacking weapon, and and him going off the field probably didn't help. But still, um, you, you do have to hand it to the Blues the way they played, and particularly later on in that game, um, it made it fairly tough for the Highlanders. But you know, they went in at half time thirteen three. They would be feeling really bloody good about themselves, and and unfortunately, like Brandon said afterwards. You know, you don't get many opportunities, uh, especially against a team like the Blues, and, and, and when you do get them, you've got to grab them, and, and unfortunately the, the Highlander points didn't take them, so um, they'll probably be more disappointed about that. Hey, Bob, thanks for joining us, mate. Marshy here. Hey, look, um, you, you touched on um, Thomas Umanga Jensen, and that, like, does it, does it concern you mm. that when he left the field, and, and you just uttered these words, and I know that I did too after the game, that when he left, there didn't seem to be any other major threat because, you know, Highlanders teams in the past have had threats right across that back line. But once he left, there wasn't anybody really getting over the advantage line and threatening defenders. Does that concern you? Because where does Brownie go if he's injured? Well, that's yeah, dead right, Marshy. I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I was with another guy. We were having a beer watching it, and, and he said exactly the same thing to me. He said, geez, what are we going to do now if he's off the field? Because um, he has been so dangerous with the ball in hand. He, he, you know, he was break, making breaks, looking to offload. He's been doing it for every game he's played in as well this year. And um, and unfortunately, at the moment, um, they haven't. Um, you know, I suppose John and the Rickies are um, another one who's who's uh, you know, a real big ball player for the Highlanders, particularly last year, and he hasn't been there either. So um, Sam Gilbert's only just starting out. He's a big lad. Um, but, you know, is he is he breaking a game open for us? Um, mm. So, yeah, I, I, it is a bit of a worry, to be fair. Um, but does that, does that go back to the depth in New Zealand rugby too? Um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we've got five teams here trying to spread um, so many players out over our, our five franchises, and um, is there the talent around? I, 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 the, there should be, um, but are we losing too many overseas? Um, so yeah, there's a worry, um, real massive worry, particularly for the Hondas. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you're coming up uh, against um, all these New Zealand sides who, and, and let's be honest, every game is a is a is a real banger. You know, it, it's. You know, you're playing against, um, you know, all black against all black, mate against mate, and, and they're always big, big games, doobies as well. So, um, you know, that makes it tougher again. But yeah, I, I, it is a massive worry, I reckon, Marshy, because they haven't got the game breakers, um, and, and they've got to have that. Interesting, you mentioned that on 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 depth there, Buff, because I looked at you know the last week, um, Moana Pacific against the Crusaders and and uh, um, Levi Amoa and uh, Danny Talia in midfield. I mean, those guys have both been running around. Why have they not been picked up? Does that say more about the Highlanders' recruitment than it does about the depth? Well, I look, I, I, it, it is a massive worry. I think. Um, look, at the end of the day. Um, you know, you go back to, to ITN Cup and, you know, we're trying to... We, we, there hasn't been the depth that we're used to. Um, you know, players are getting offered more to go overseas and play overseas. They're leaving earlier, and that's, that's just the harsh reality. That's professional sport too. I suppose we're going to take that on the chin. Um, but uh, when it comes to the recruitment side of things, look, you know, when it comes to that, it's very tough for um, for any any franchise to get um, the right guys in their, um, in their franchise. But look, you've got to admit, that's something the Crusaders have certainly done well. 
and you have to say that the Chiefs have, have done it very well as well. So, um, you know, the Hondas, uh, it seems to be, and this is no disrespect to, to any of the players down there um, at all, but um, it, it does make it tough when, when um, you know, that depth is getting tested. Um, and then, of course, you know, you're chucking COVID at the moment, it makes it tougher again. You've got four or five guys getting taken out of your team, and that's not just the Hollanders. Um, your depth's getting tested, and, and we're seeing that, you know, with the Chiefs and the way they play, um, the guys stepped up. So, um, but yeah, I think it would be certainly a massive worry for, for the management of the Hollanders at the moment that, um, you know, that they're struggling in particular um, with some game breakers and, and where do they get them from? Gee, sorry, Buff, I can't help myself, mate, but uh, if you were to take one on the chin, it would be a big ricochet. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was waiting You did, for you did set yourself up for that. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, hey, look, uh, do you think then, look, so I was watching the Highlanders and I was thinking to myself, because of that lack of attacking threat, now you've got a good mind for the game, you've coached, you've played, and you're a good analyst. Did, did you... Did you think that that then made them become like they they just looked like they had no answers, so they just kicked the ball away like so often and like that's we both know Brownie that's not his mindset. But do you think because they've got to a point where they don't have those threats that we've been talking about that they're trying to play a game where they're waiting, kicking the ball to the opposition, waiting for them to make a mistake and trying to somehow gouge out a win rather than just going out there and playing the type of rugby you know the Highlanders can play just phase after phase after phase after relentless patience yeah did right and, and at the end of the day that's something the Highlanders have been good with um, particularly under Brownie and, and and you go back to when even Jamie was coaching them you know they, yeah. they never really had many superstars as, as such but they they worked their tails off hung on the ball make teams um, work hard on defence and at the moment, it looks like a bit of an out clause, doesn't it? The kick. And, and unfortunately, mm. we saw some of the kicking that happened on Friday night. It was poor kicking. Um, there wasn't a lot of distance yeah. in it. And fairness, um, uh, when it was kicked, you know, okay, sometimes you can get away with, with, with a kick and turning it into a, a bad kick, turning it into a good kick with a good chase. But that wasn't even happening really either. Um, and you can't afford to kick to... To many of these New Zealand sides, because the, the counter attack is, is one of their major weapons. You know, they practice it week, uh, week in, week out. So, and the other thing I find too, and, and I've played a lot of teams overseas as well, when your game plan's not working or it's just not coming off, once again, once again that out clause is sticking on the foot and, and, and give it back yeah. to them and, and back to defence. And, and that seems to be happening a touch. And, and it'll disappoint Brownie a bit too because we know how he loves to, you know, pull a team apart with his with his uh, attack, and and that really hasn't been happening a bit. So, well, look, you can see from them they're trying their guts out. You can you can see that their attitude is they're going. You now they are certainly trying. It's not because of lack of lack of effort, but you know, at the end of the day, if they they get to a point where things aren't quite coming off, or their kick becomes out. Very, very quickly, unfortunately. Yeah, agree. Totally agree. Well, while we've got you, mate, um, it'd be very remiss of us not to uh, sort of dig deep into your your rugby playing days. And um, 
get your thoughts on the Scottish boys and, and the Six Nations in general. Have you seen have you seen much of that? And what are you making of how Scotland are going at the moment? Yeah, I have. I've actually I, I, I do make an effort to get up and watch a bit of it. I um I actually really enjoy it. Look, I, I was just really lucky to be able to play that that competition, and it and it, it does. It does actually excite you. It's it's a pretty cool competition to be involved in the Six Nations and and you know the, particularly the way the Six Nations has gone this year. Um, you know Scotland getting up and beating in the first up was just amazing. I know guys mm-hmm. in Scotland were on the on the plant for six days in a row. They, <laughs> you know, they, they that is just the usual much. week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Unfortunately, it might have been a couple. Of players because they lost the next week but um yeah yeah the six the six nations is such a tough competition because you know wales probably hadn't performed that well in their first game came out playing played extremely well in the second game um which put um put the competition back into uh, making it really interesting france have been outstanding uh england once again with with eddie jones that's always an interesting uh to watch what he does in the six nations with his team um I'm actually, if I'm honest, I'm halfway through watching the English, uh, Italian, uh, English-Irish game at the moment, and um, and I watch the Scottish boys play. So um, yeah, and, and the and the Italians defended really well today. They they, they mm. did it well last week as well. But the Scottish just had, uh, you know, they're probably a bit lucky in a couple of aspects. Um, you know, they got a couple of passes away that that you know went to hand and could quite easily be dropped. Um, we saw Flynn Russell once again. He's uh, he's um, edgy of seat uh, watching, isn't he? When he when he's playing, um, yeah. he reminds me of Gregor Townsend to be fair, because Tony could do one thing absolutely magnificently, and then then have everyone with their head in their hands. So um, he reminds <laughs> me of Tony a lot. But yeah, look, look, the Scottish boys have got some talent. You know, they've got a, a, a really nice backline that, that can throw the ball when, around when they get a, get a bit of space, but. The Italians, now, Kieran Crowley, I thought, has done a great job with him. They've, uh, they've worked really bloody hard. They've, they've defended really, really well. They'll be disappointed with, obviously, uh, the English game with the nine tries, but up until then, they've put, put a lot of pressure on some teams and, and probably don't deserve to be um, the wooden spoon, but unfortunately, with only six teams in it, the, yeah, it could quite easily be Scotland or, or them. So, uh, yeah, it was good to watch Scottish get up. Um, it's always a great competition, Marshy, and, and uh, it'll be really interesting to watch the rest of this, Italian, uh, this uh, English-Irish game. So, oh, enjoy- Don't tell me the score. Don't tell me the score, mate. Oh. I haven't finished yet. Okay, okay <laughs> Bob. Cheers for coming on, mate. Well, sorry to interrupt your viewing for the afternoon, but always good to chat. <laughs> and uh, we'll catch well, up with you again soon, eh? It's the size of the head of mine on the lawn, so I'm trying to stay with that. <laughs> Fair enough, mate. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, Brendan yeah, Lady here, here with us on uh, the Rugby Run with Bunnings Trade. We're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. And just an update from the cricket too. 154 for four. Uh, the Aussies halfway through the 39th over. Make that 158 for four. Uh, but uh, yeah, the uh, Kiwis, it's a bit of an arm wrestle at the moment. Uh, you can catch the rest of the commentary on the app uh, while the rugby run is on. We're going to be uh, talking to Gerald uh, Daryl Gibson, uh, Bayer Plenty coach, uh, before the hour is out. In the meantime, if you've got uh, anything you want to hit Marshy up with, 08833 or 0800 150 811 is our number. And don't forget, you can match Marshy as well. Text through your player of the round and see if it matches Marshy. Uh, we will do that around 2.30 this afternoon here on the Rugby Run on SENZ with Bunnings Trade. Helping business is our trade.
Yeah, 25 away from two here on the Rugby Run with Bunnings Trade. We're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. And Marshy, uh, I thought um, we didn't get to, didn't quite get to the forwards uh, or the blues for that matter with Buff. It was all just uh, Highlanders and a bit doom and gloom for, for him, mate. But I thought uh, Tane Plumtree. Uh, what a find he's been, mate. Six foot five. He's a beast of a man running around at six. Uh, and we've got a, got some real depth at six at the moment, haven't we? I mean, he looks a real prospect. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, look, it was good. It was a bit sombre for, for Buff to sort of go through that Highlanders performance, but it was much needed because ultimately they are, they are facing a bit of a crisis and they have to find a way out of it. Otherwise, this competition is going to leave them behind. So it was good to get some of his thoughts and where he thought they were. Conversely, the Blues, I thought, uh, really struggled again, uh, particularly in the first half. And like you mentioned, um, young Plumtree, when he sort of started hitting that outside channel, I think he grew into the game. We think about the way that Robinson's been playing in those uh, outside tram lines. He's carrying the ball a lot there as a second or last receiver. Once Plumtree sort of got into his rhythm and got into those zones, uh, he became a real threat. He was good on the ball, over the ball, uh, and showed that he can be a threat with ball in hand. And yes, we we certainly are starting to create uh, some depth in, in the loose forwards. The, the, the interesting conundrum that we have this year, and, and you know, Ian Foster is going to have to somehow come up with a solution, is how, how we piece all this talent, Ricardo, into a regular, formidable back row. And that, that, that is when he has to make decisions on where Artie Savier is best played, what his position is. Um, you know, like like for me, they, they must be thinking about Peter Gus Salakula. Now, I know we'll touch on that a little bit later and we can um, we, we can analyse that a bit, but we we are talking about the back row at the moment and, and you've got young prospects like Plumtree. But I think a lot of these guys are better for playing in a position that suits them and they get good at it. And I think, you know, when you, when you think about the balance of back rows, it's regular game time in that Jersey that makes a difference. I thought Pablo Matera was much better last night simply because it was his second outing at number eight. Uh, he didn't play as well at, at blindside. I don't think, I think he's a better number eight and the team benefited from it. So, uh, you know, that's, that's the back row um, issues that we've got at the moment because we tend to be, falling around with it, you know. I certainly don't think you can play Sam Klein and Artie Savier together mm. uh, unless Artie plays eight. So what I'm saying is you, they can't play six and seven. So how hard a decision is that for Ian Foster, you know? But my, my point in all of this equation is, you know, young talent, whether it be young like Plumtree or whether it be regulars or whether it be Ethan Blackadder, whoever it might be, we need them playing regular game time in a jersey that they can play regular game time for for the All Blacks, and um, you know I think that'll be best best for every for every team because you get the strengths of those players coming out then. Now I know um, when Brendan Laney was on with us, he said, "Don't tell us the score, don't tell us the score," because I'm still watching the game. <laughs> um, in that yeah. ad break, did you did you text him and tell him the score? I wouldn't do that, Ricardo. <laughs> Absolutely not. I didn't know. <laughs> I've got my uh, my my uh, my dad's brother, uh, big rugby fan. But when Sky first came out and the and the and the rugby wasn't free to air anymore, you got the delayed coverage on. I think it was on on sure. on one sport or whatever it was in the afternoons. Uh, and I had yep. another another uncle who used to wait because he knew that's what he'd do. And it, and it was the old days before cell phones, so it was landline days. And he would ring him 
when he knew it was about half time in the game he was watching and he would ring the phone and he'd, oh. he'd answer the phone and my other uncle would just shout the score down the line and then hang up. Just uh, No. Yeah, it was a wind-up That's merchant. That's so dog. That would, that would break. I'd actually get angry. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't think, see that as being funny at all. That would actually really, really irritate me. I'd get angry. Yeah, well, that, that it's, it's one of those things that's probably that. funny once, but you wouldn't do it again. Yes. Yeah, it's like that movie. I don't. There's a movie a long, a wee while, a long time ago that had Bruce Willis in it, and uh, he uh, he was dead. And so, and that, that was people. They say, "Oh, they watched that movie, Bruce Willis, and he's dead the whole way through the movie." And it's like you've just actually ruined the whole movie because that was the big, you know, I think the, the last ten minutes you actually realised that he was a ghost or whatever. It's like it's spoiler a alert, real spoiler, yeah. Big yeah, time, Big exactly, time. mate. Exactly. Hey, this is the rugby run on SENZ. Justin Marshall, Ricardo Paul with you. We do this every Sunday from one till three with Bunnings Trade. We're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. Download the SENZ app to keep up with the commentary of the White Ferns Australia World Cup match. I can tell you the Aussies are currently 184 for four, and uh, we're about to start the 42nd over. When we come back, Bay of Plenty coach Daryl Gibson joins us. 16 away from two here on the Rugby Run with Justin Marshall, Ricardo Ball uh, with Bunnings Trade. We're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. Joining us now, former All Black and Crusader midfielder Daryl Gibson. G'day, mate. How are you doing? I'm good, Ricardo. G'day, Justin. Yeah, mate. Now, now uh, last night, you must have been absolutely loving watching Quinto uh, Tupaya and Anton Leonard-Brown go head-to-head with Harvili and Enor. Of course, uh, guys uh, that used to play your positions, mate, it was a, a head-to-head of All Blacks. Uh, how, who do you think came out on top in the end? Yeah, it definitely was, you know, across the, across the whole park. I think, um, yeah, obviously there were, there were flashes. I thought Harvili defended incredibly well, uh, as he does, and then also on attack, so... Uh, and then Quint went to buy out wide as well. I thought he was very dangerous. So pretty even, I thought, overall. But, um, you know, what a fantastic quality game that we saw last night. Yeah, Gibbo, thanks for uh, scratching yourself out of playing in the whitewash on your paddleboard to, to have a chat. I really appreciate that. Um, <laughs> look, uh, when, when you think about the the context of the game, say you're Scott Robertson, um, how, how would he be feeling today? How would he analyse that, given... You know that how dominant the Chiefs were, particularly in that second half. Yeah, I guess um, there's two things that stick out for me. One, I think as a as a squad, the Chiefs are probably the the one squad that can really stack up depth wise against the Crusaders, and um, you know particularly in the forward pack and then and through that back line. And I thought last night what we saw is you know that second half dominance of possession territory in the Chiefs' favour and. Were it not for sort of um, some excellent defending from the Crusaders, the Chiefs could have very nearly had a couple more tries. So I think Razor will, will go back. He'll he'll scratch his head a little because there was a few uncharacteristic sort of um, traits mm. from the Crusaders, the very uncrusaded like, um, and that's that sort of stuff. I think he'll get um, annoyed with, but it quite easily fixes. And and for me, I, you know, I look at the Crusaders and I think they're still searching searching for an identity uh, where we've known them as very um, meticulous, very structured, very clinical. And last night, I just felt they were a little bit loose at times. Yeah, I agree. And I think it was very evident that when they got their mojo going, they just looked super dangerous. Like that tempo when they came out of the sheds after half time, and the, the interchange of passing, the offloads and the tackles, the decision-making when leading into Enel's try, it was like, oh, okay, 
they've really cranked the wheel. But then they couldn't find their way back into the game. Do you think that was to do with, if you've touched on it, their lack of rhythm? But equally, you know, the Chiefs found something, didn't they? They found a way to restrict the Crusaders from, from getting their rhythm. Yeah, absolutely. I think you hit on two good points there. One, I thought the the Chiefs attacked very well, you know, through the whole game. Um, you know, in the first half, particularly in the second half, all that dominant position they had. But certainly when the Crusaders had the ball, they showed glimpses of what we know from the Crusaders, you know, holding the ball, multiple phases. Um, you know, it's almost classical Crusaders to watch. Um, but last night it, it, when it went off a little. And I also felt what we've known about the Crusades, they dominate dominate territory. And last night they got shaded in that area as well, I thought. It was interesting, I thought, Daryl, because it, uh, I mentioned this to Marsha earlier, you know, the, the, particularly the second 20 of the first half, it seemed like the Crusaders were camped in the Chiefs' half, and I thought the Chiefs had done to, uh, to limit the damage at the time. But the second half, it just seemed to flip a switch. What do you think it was that Clayton McMillan said in the sheds? Yeah, I'd, I'd say he would be. Um, he would have been impressed, even though they were down on the scoreboard in the first half. When they had the ball, um, they looked pretty dangerous. You know, they, they strung together multiple phases, scored some excellent tries. So they they knew they wouldn't be out of it. So I guess um, you know, when you're a team from behind in the second half, it's, it's like boys, we were in this. Let's, let's do more. Get our hands on the position and, and put the Crusaders under pressure. Um, and that's what they did. You know, I was very impressed with the, the Chiefs' attack. And um, as I said earlier, they're very unlucky not to have a couple more if it wasn't for the sort of excellent sort of crusader defence. OK, let's throw your coaching cap on and put you on the spot because I enjoy doing that. Um, if, you're, if you're sitting in Tony Brown's house at the moment, uh, what, yeah, what, what, what concerns you and how do you turn that around? You know, the Highlanders obviously in a bit of a hole at the moment, 0-4, and, and look, let's, let's be perfectly honest, they, they look like they're struggling for creativity, which is a very unusual for a Tony Brown coach side, don't you agree? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If I was in his shoes, I'd be incredibly frustrated because, you know, even though they're, they're own form, they're, um, they're in games. You know, even to the, yeah. you know, the Blues came out second half, um, Leon's obviously given them a rocket and they've, they've responded. And, um, you know, right into the last minute, the Highlanders and the never-ending sort of uh, extra time that was going on were still in the game. So um, <laughs> I'd say he'd be <laughs> incredibly frustrated. Um, but he'll be searching for a way to firstly keep that morale high. You know, we've all been in teams where things haven't been going our way, you know, we're competing well. Um, it's important that they, you know, stay together. Um, and then he will... You know, we all know he's a creative, clever coach. He's going to come out with something um, to keep these boys uh, together, but also um, find a little edge somewhere and exploit. But the, the difficulty in this competition, Justin, especially in the New Zealand conference, you don't get a breather. You know, every no. game you've got to be, you've got to be up for it. Um, and you know, I've heard a lot of commentary this week that it's going to be the healthiest team. You know, the one who's who can ride through COVID. Uh, that comes through mm. that. So it's going to be a real test of depth um, as we go on through the comp. So there's plenty of twists and turns to come, um, but um, some quality games uh, we're seeing at the moment. Equally, uh, how, how do you think Leon McDonald would be feeling? Like, there's some firepower in that blues side, but this is my personal opinion. I'm not sure 
where you sit uh, on this situation. I, I don't. I think they're still well underperforming for the caliber of player they've got in there. And yes, the second half was was much better. They obviously got a bit of a, a rocket, but look, I, I the, the the first twenty minutes against the Hurricanes, their first game of the season, I thought, holy moly, these guys are going to be good, but. I haven't seen them reach that level again of tempo, of accuracy, of pace. What, what can you put your finger on why that is? Like, put it this way: they're a good side, but they're they're underwhelming me at the moment. I know that sounds harsh, but I think they're capable of more. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think obviously they're, they're not at full strength. Let's let's um, yeah, acknowledge that. They're, they're Stephen Perifetta performed admirably, admirably. You know, sort of a third. Yeah. Third team that have got in their roster, but um, you know they're missing that that um, you know extra extra class that they do possess in their team when they have full strength. But I think in this competition, if you want to be better than the Crusaders, who have long been the, the benchmark, you've got to front up with a, a tight five and a set piece that's going to compete with them. And I thought you know against the Chiefs, um, you look at the Chiefs eight, and you go wow, you know you've got a team with a Rotalic in it, you're going to be competitive, and they've. All Blacks all through that, or close to. So you know, they've got a four-pack that can match the Crusaders now. Um, and I'm not sure the Blues still have that. They've got some very dangerous loose forwards when they're on with uh, you know, Ioni and Satulu, uh, but certainly in that tight five, that's most question marks. That's, that's probably where I'm going. You've got the firepower, but have you got that forward strength and the, um, that set-piece ability when the blowtorch comes on against the Crusaders, in which it will, uh, to be actually stand up and compete. Totally agree. Yeah, well said. Just very quickly, uh, I don't know whether you caught the game or not uh, last night. How good were the Drua? How good have they been in the last two weeks? Must warm your heart, your Fijian heart, mate, being a coach of that side. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think um, you know they're finding their feet. You know, there was a couple of weeks ago we said it would take a little little while to uh, find the standard, um, but yeah, certainly learning fast. And that's uh, it's a really good sign, real positive, and exactly why, you know, both Moana Pacifica and, and the Fiji Drua were added to the comp to uh, really give that experience and create that development and pathway through the, the system. Probably the biggest thing for me, Justin, I'm sure you've been talking to about the show, was just that red card in the England uh, Ireland game. You know, that's <laughs> going to be debated a lot, and I'm sure you've been debating that a lot in your on your show, but. For me, you know, and my two cents on that is just as as coaches now, you know, it's our responsibility to get that tackle height down. Otherwise, we're going to get, you know, what we've got today mm. where, you know, first of all, safety, number one issue. But then also, how do we coach, you know, a lower tackle height to, to keep everyone safe? So plenty to come out of that, I'm sure. Yeah, heaps to good come point. out of that. Yeah, yeah, good stuff, Daryl. Around the, around the bootlaces, mate, that wasn't what it always used to be, right? Around the bootlaces. Yeah, well, who knows? It'll have to come back at some point. You know, I'm sure there's some very clever men in the administration to a world that will uh, come up with a nice nice law to uh, keep us all safe and, and keep the game still a contest and a game of physicality. So yeah. we'll wait and see. Yeah, good stuff, Daryl. Hey, thanks for coming on, mate. We'll let you go back uh, uh, and work on that tan and get out on the on the old paddleboard. Uh, we appreciate your time. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, boys. Cheers. That's uh, Daryl Gibson there with us here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. We're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. Uh, Justin, just quickly on that on that tackle. I mean, 
they basically just ran into each other standing up, right? And the English yep. the English lock's shoulder caught him in the face. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, if that had happened, the All Blacks would be spitting. Yeah, absolutely. And if you look at the law interpretation now, it used to be a couple of years ago, which was horrific, or three years ago, 2019, um, it used to be any contact was red. Now they've got mitigation. Didn't look like they used mitigation to me in that, and there's no consistency there, which is a problem. Yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, in Turkey, uh, we've got more uh, to come on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Helping business is our trade in the next hour. Former Wallaby great Matt Burke joins us and the uh, winning coach from the big game last night, Clayton McMillan's also going to be on the phone with us here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. We'll be back after this. Yeah, it's just gone 2 o'clock here on the Rugby Run on SENZ. Uh, Ricardo Ball, Justin Marshall with you. Brought to you by Bunnings Trade. We're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. Don't forget you can match Marshy by texting us on double eight double three with your player of the round. See if it matches Justin Marshall's pick for player of the round. We'll announce that around 2.30. Before then, though, uh, joining us now, Wallaby great Matt Burke. G'day, Matt. How you doing? Yeah, good morning, boys. Uh, or afternoon, I should say. Uh, I'm great. How are you guys? Yeah, good, thanks, mate, good. Uh, feel free to send the invoice for this appearance through to Justin Marshall, as you alluded to on text, that's fine. <laughs> mate, all I see is him uh, playing golf on Instagram and, and brewing his own home brew, so to speak. So, Marshy, you know where I live, mate, you can send a couple of pints my way. I think we've lost Marshy there, he's, he's dropped off somehow, but uh, we'll, we'll try and get him back, uh, Matt, and then and then I'll, I'll, right. make, I'll make sure we get a pint or three sent your way, mate. Hey, um... I just, want, just wanted to talk to you about the Tars. Of course, uh, they, they suit yeah. up uh, this afternoon against the Force. Uh, a lot of money on this side of the Tasman is going on the Force. Um, where are your Tars at, do you think? Because from over this side, it looks like the outside backs are quite capable. It looks like the Fords are very good. But maybe it's those decision makers that are holding you back a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a big shift from where they were last year. Uh, that, that's for sure. The the interesting part about it is, uh, and I think that's all across Australian rugby, is that you're finding that real nine ten combination is uh, is is still not so much a battle, but it needs to be refined even more. So, you know, Nick White, Brumbies, uh, Noel Wallace, CEO, yeah, going well. James O'Connor, Queensland. Uh, what Australian rugby would like to do is progress to that stage where they've got you know sort of four or five, you know, really competitive nines, four or five competitive tens. And, and you're right, small mistakes last week against the Brumbies, uh, you know, getting out of their own D zone, a couple of shanks all, all of a sudden turn the, the pressure on uh, the team as a whole and, and the Brumbies, uh, you know, ruthless in that, in that 22 zone and, and score some tries. So uh, you're right, there's capabilities out wide. Uh, Isaiah Parisi re-signing with Australian rugby is a good thing. Uh, he's, he's big, he's strong, he's fast. Uh, and he's going to have that ability just to sort of take people with him when he gets that opportunity. But I, I think you're pretty spot on there. Um, uh, understanding how to guide yourself around the park is so important. Uh, and last week, game before that against uh, the Reds in torrential rain at, um, at Leichhardt Oval here in Sydney. And you've just got to be able to put yourself in the right spots. And uh, it's a growing, uh, I suppose, process, you could say, for the Waratahs especially. Uh, but they're getting there. You know, they, I, I, I like Ben Donaldson and what he's been able to do. Jake Gordon's getting better in that role as well. So... Um, fortunately, uh, youth is on their side, and they're, and they're learning from some good people too. Yeah, Berkey, Marshy here. Hey, look, I knew there'd be a couple of wisecracks coming from you simply because you can't help yourself, so I went for a little walk for two minutes. Um, so whatever you said, I missed. 
Um, but uh, hey, it didn't pertain to you, mate. Great to have you on the show, mate. <laughs> yeah, always good. Hey, look, I don't know how much of the New Zealand uh, games you've seen, but uh, I just wanted to get a bit of an idea from you, uh, com- comparatively, what it looks like to what you're seeing in Australia. Do you see it being similar, the tempo, the intensity? Um, you know, do you see the Australian teams when we combine to Trans Tasman? really challenging the New Zealand sides this year? Yeah, do you know, I, 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 I mean, it's been so difficult uh, and it marks COVID and, and border restrictions, that kind of stuff. So I think it was probably a good thing for Australian rugby's point of view to be able to play those first couple of games uh, by themselves and, and test themselves in, in that space. Uh, and then after some time to, to get a little bit battle-hardened to be able to, to take on your crew at the back end of the tournament. Uh, certainly, you know, from what I've seen, uh, you know, the game last night, Crusaders Chiefs, like just high intensity, you know, playing literally to the to the to the final whistle. Uh, you know, Chiefs scoring those two tries, yeah, quite incredible. And uh, you know, when you look at the speed and ability of of those teams uh, in your neck of the woods, it's always great. And, and and I think that's a given from from what we what we expect from Australian point of view. Uh, I think we talk about combinations more than anything else. So. I was just saying to Ricardo, then you get the, the combinations of a 9-10 going, that's good. You get a combination of a back row, front row, uh, and, and they may be through separate teams. And then the, the combination, obviously, in the big scheme of things, when you get to an Australian point of view, hopefully that ticks the box. But uh, you need to be competitive, absolutely. Uh, Queensland uh, are, are playing well at the moment, um, just a little bit off the pace, I suppose you could say, in their defence. Um, they had a tough one against uh, Drew the other night as well. Um, and so all of a sudden you've got these, you've got the Brumbies who you know they can can run the ball, uh, but they and they and they're strong up front when they they get that driving line out scrum type scenario. But you're right though, um, you know we're always chasing uh, absolutely, and, and and I think everyone knows that, and they know that when they play uh, your boys down the track, they're going to be have to be on song and ready to go. There's you know, there's no uh, there's no letting up because the smallest little let up will uh, will be could be a punishment if you're playing your boys. Into the zone that you operated in, um, and we'll extend it out to sort of back four from centre out. Uh, yeah, I, I, you would probably say that Dave Rennie's got quite a lot of talent to select from. Who, who's been impressing you? Where do you think he'll be trending towards when he starts to look at that Wallaby makeup from what you've seen so far and what he's yeah. used in the past? Yeah, I suppose you, you, you can. Yeah, Icky Tower was uh, pretty strong uh, a couple of weeks ago or, or last week against the. Um, uh, the Waratahs from the Brumbies. Um, you know, just they're, they're starting to get some centre combinations that are, uh, have got some size and, and some confidence about it as well. Hunter Paisami's playing well. They've moved Jordan Pattaya mm. uh, back to fullback to give him a bit of a shot at uh, maybe a bit more space. He was a bit, you know, Jordan's an incredible athlete, uh, a little bit one dimensional if you, if you put him in that sort of, you know, 13 role, 15 um, uh, winger role because you just know he's going to go up the outside break every time. And this needs to add to his game a little bit and playing fullback may just allow him to sort of, you know, move left and move right rather than just sort of, you know, take that outside break every time. Um, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, the re-signed Izzy Parisi the other day, which is uh, which is a good thing for the Waratahs and Australian rugby, just combines that competitiveness, Marshy, that, you know, that you're not just a stock mm. standard uh, a shoe-in to, to get a position, uh, that Rennie has options to, to choose from. And, you know, when you're looking at um, uh, back three, still haven't found... Australia still hasn't found a fullback yet. You know, you've got Banks playing at um, you know, pretty well for the Brumbies. You've got Reese playing, uh, Reese Hodge playing at at Melbourne, who are filling a gap 
but they haven't sort of said, hey, I can take this role and I can own it. So, but as you know, uh, you know, playing super into their national stuff, it's a, it's another step up. And what you do at super is uh, is all well and good, but you need to be able to improve when you when you wear your national colours. So, still trying to try to find a way that fifteen role. It's pretty open at the moment. Yeah, look, I wanted to ask you about that, and it's it's quite um, relevant that you've touched on it. What would would you do the 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 classic if say uh, James O'Connor can't get that 10 jersey, would would he be an option at fullback? Or do you think it needs to be a genuine specialist, a guy that is playing there regularly? We've had Geordie Barrett go to a new level simply because he didn't get messed around. He got the 15 jersey and he yeah. was able to stay there and he didn't have to compete with, with Bowden at the Hurricanes and he's a much better player. Are you along that line or do you think players can adapt if they get thrown the jersey? Yeah, it's... It, it, I mean, they talk about, Marshy, that, you know, that, that 23 now, they call it, but they're not reserves anymore, they're finishers. So you've got to be able to, to the slot into a spot and keep the same tempo or, or increase it at the back end of it. But if you know your role, you know your role. And, and you know, it's, it's like sort of someone saying, uh, you know, Marshy, uh, we, we, we're going to you know, give you a, a start at nine today, but we might just need you for 10 for a little while. And, and all of a sudden your heart rate goes up a little bit because you know how to play it, but you're just not as proficient if you'd had time in the saddle. So, look, I, I'd, I'd love a, a specific number 15. And, and look, James O'Connor could do that, but he's playing well at number 10. So when then you look at options of, of you know, if you're looking for World Cup next year, uh, O'Connor would be 34. Maybe he's in good nick, but O'Connor's in 34. Do you do you put more chips on Lolisio um, at a 19, 20-year-old, 21-year-old, uh, chasing that, that space there. So uh, it's it's options. Then you have maturity that comes into it to make the right decision. We spoke about it a second ago with Ricardo about making the right decisions. So that comes with age and that comes with time in the in the, uh, in the position. So uh, it's, a, it's a difficult one, um, but there are players that can play out of position. It's just that you need that week-in, week-out uh, understanding of what to do to make the right call. And I, I would talk about you know, whenever I coach the, you know, the younger kids all the way through, it's, you know, rugby doesn't change from junior level all the way through to sort of senior level. All you lose is time and space. So as a young kid, as you know, you get heaps of time with the ball and heaps of space. And as you get better and better, and, and when it becomes the national team, you have less time and less space to make the correct decision. So if you haven't practiced in that space where you have less time and less, and less, um, and less space, you, you, you make the wrong call. So... There is the option to say, you know, you need specifics in those roles. Yeah, look, I, the reason I touched on it was simply, and, and that's really well answered, to, to be honest, and, and I think you're, you're absolutely bang on, because you throw, then you throw Quade Cooper back in the mix. So you've got Quade Cooper, Lola Seal, yeah. and James O'Connor, and you, you find yourself in that conundrum, which the All Blacks have done in the past, of how the hell do we get all those three guys on the field at the same time? Oh, well, we'll put him on the wing and we'll put him at fullback and we'll play him at 12 and blah, blah, blah. I don't think that is what is good for structure and, like you said, decision-making. And, yeah, I'm not sure that's something that you want to do with those three players in particular in Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right, that's right. You know, there, there's a big thing, you know, that everyone talks about cohesion. Uh, and, you know, you guys had it back in the day. It was you and Mertz. Actually, I did a lunch with Mertz yesterday. I think it's just about getting his Australian passport. He made he's entrenched himself over here at the moment. He's loving life. Um, Jeez, you're, and, you're uh, out of bed. He's, um, Congratulations! If you had lunch with Mertz. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. He, um, 
you know, you've got that cohesion of, of, of you know, sort of, you know, uh, Hor and Little back in the day, uh, Gre- uh, Greg and Larkin. So the more you have the chance to play there, the more you get an understanding when you go around the park and you, you'll no doubt make better decisions. And, and, and there's always that trap of getting the best players and fitting them into a spot. And, and I've been there as well when I've been uh, there or thereabouts, not going to play fullback, but we'll chuck you on the wing. And he go, yeah, I'm, I'm great to wear a, a starting jersey, but mate, I've got, I've got no idea of, of really what to do in those spots. Where if you had a, a proper uh, winger, they know exactly what they do. They probably far, they would have been faster than me as well, and they and they knew the job that they had to do. So it's a it's a difficult decision making process for the for the coaches as to get that right cohesion and the, and the right um, understanding of who's the best spot. So I'm glad I'm not coaching. Well, mate, yeah, it sounds like I was going to say if you if if, if Moots has just about got a passport, I did wonder whether or not Richard Carhui uh, running around the and, and twelve for the force might be a Wallaby come World Cup year next year. He's been there long enough. <laughs> Right, he's eligible. I'll, mate, we'll, we'll give him a tap on the shoulder, absolutely. Yeah, good stuff, Matt. Hey, listen, I know you've got a function to get to ahead of this Waratahs Force game this afternoon, mate. Uh, give us a, a quick prediction before we let you go. Uh, discipline for the Waratahs will see them home. Uh, if not, it could be a tough day with uh, a pretty good forward pack uh, they've got over there. Isaac Rodder, uh, Jeremy Thrush is playing again this weekend, so uh, make sure they get that sorted, and it could be a home win. Otherwise... Could be a tough day at the office. Yeah, could be. Could be. Good stuff, Matt. Thanks very much for coming on and make sure to send that invoice through to Marshy. Uh, mate, 100%. I'm doing it right now. Thanks, boys. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Matt Burke, former uh, Wallaby great, of course, with us here on the Rugby Run on SENZ with Bunnings Trade. We're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. Uh, just a reminder, if you want to catch up with the uh, Cricket World Cup match between New Zealand and Australia, I can tell you the Aussies 253 for seven with an over left um, at the Basin Reserve. If you've got the app, you can continue to listen to the commentary there. Otherwise, we'll be back with the bloke who coached the Chiefs to their first win in Christchurch in a number of years, Clayton McMillan, right here on the Rugby Run. Yeah, 17 past two here on the Rugby Run on SENZ, brought to you by Bunnings Trade, helping business is our trade. And joining us uh, now is the man that masterminded the big win in Christchurch last night for the Chiefs, Clayton McMillan. Congratulations, Clayton. How are you feeling today? Yeah, not too bad uh, today, thanks, Phyllis. That's good, mate. That's good. I've got to say, I mentioned this to Marshy earlier in the show, that last 20 of the first half, I thought the Crusaders had you under the pump a little bit. What did you say in the sheds at halftime to turn things around? Uh, I just thought we were in the game. Um, we coughed up a couple of opportunities. It's just been a little bit more tough and, and just recognising the fact that um, we couldn't just hope to hang in there and and beat the Crusaders. I think you've got to be you've got to be brave and you've got to be clinical. Um, and you know, I thought we I thought we we showed that in spades in that last forty minutes where you know we held onto the ball for long periods of time at the right end of the field and we turned down a few terrible opportunities and the pursuit is trying to get sort of five or seven and um you know, for a long time under you know pretty impressive Crusaders um defence um it looked like you know, we're going to get held out, but um, yeah, we, we managed to get the job done, which was really pleasing. Clayton, Marshy here. Hey, look, I really appreciate you joining us today. Congratulations on what was a simply outstanding performance yesterday. Um, not an easy place to go and win, as you very well know, uh, and to achieve that in the fashion mm-hmm. that you did. When, when you sort of sat down and reflected after all the, the hype and you, you're in the changing room 
can you put your finger on why? Why you won that game? What what was the one thing that got you that victory? Oh, well, I certainly think that there was a lot of grit um, shown by the boys to you know, just keep hammering away. And although we weren't getting a lot of reward, just sort of sticking, you know, just kept, uh, continuing to apply the pressure um, was really good. Um, to put it on one particular thing, yeah, I'm not too sure. I just think that you know we've been fortunate that we've been able to sort of get some of our more experienced players out on the park um, regularly this year, and you know guys like Sam Kane, Brody, and Tom, um, a number of others. Well, what they do is they bring you know their experience to the table and help a, a talented but you know youthful team um, just make better decisions under pressure and. Uh, and never, never think that you're out of the game. And so, you know, just the fact that we ground out a win against quality Crusaders side was was pleasing. Uh, certainly, um, you'll know the statistics, but I'll sort of educate a couple of our listeners on them. But they, they, <laughs> they were again very impressive. Like for you to put 38 rucks inside their 22, 158 carries, and camp yourself for 11 and a half minutes inside the Crusaders 22, like you said, their their, their defence was incredible. 242 tackles at 90% effective uh, rate is pretty good, isn't it? So I think it's a, it's a real positive for your side to show that you were more patient than them and your ball discipline, like with those stats, that ball discipline is incredible to not concede a turnover because in your ball discipline, you've got clean out, you've got work that goes into recycling that ball. The Crusaders... For all of their good defence, um, they couldn't get the ball back, and you were outstanding in that area. That must have really pleased you. Yeah, yeah, it did. You know, and, and I think I mentioned it to the media after the game was that you just had to sit back and applaud, you know, the way that the Crusaders defended because it was impressive, and you know, it's those sorts of traits um, that have become sort of synonymous with with that team over a number of years and it's why they're incredibly hard to break down and beat at home and and for us to stick in there and, you know, like build that high face count I think was, was really impressive and I I'm not too sure what you can put it down to but I, I think there's you know, like there's there's opportunities early on in the game where you wish that team would show that same sort of accuracy and urgency to you know, support ball carrier and be really, really, you know, brutal in your carry clean game and just, you know, be prepared to play what can look pretty one-dimensional rugby at times just to just to get the, you know, the, the job done and um, and under under pressure, knowing that you know at any moment the Crusaders can, you know, score against the runner play, bigger penalty, um, score a try. If they've done that in the last 20 minutes, then it might have been a bit of a bridge too far. So. It was impressive. The guys showed um, a huge amount of um, kicker, and, and you know there was definitely some tired boys on the sides of um, you know on both sides last night because ball and play time was phenomenal and a hell of a lot of tackles and carries made. It must have been really tough getting on that bus last week and driving back down the highway to Hamilton after suffering a loss in that fashion. I wanted to touch on a couple of individuals if you don't mind. I thought Bryn Gatlin, to, to bounce back, be given the responsibility in that 10 jersey, and the way that he was the architect, he stayed flat all day, he challenged the line regularly, um, you know, hit 
good decisions with everything that he was doing and his go- and his goal kicking. You know, it must have been a tough week for him. It wasn't his bloody fault, was it, against the Blues? But you know, for him to go out and put in a performance like that, it must have been pleasing for you and and put some pressure on you. Um, you know, in that in that area to select select a player for that jersey. Yeah, it certainly was. Um, there was a lot of disappointment last week because we felt like the large periods of that game against the Blues that we had the, the better of them, but uh, and we gave ourselves an opportunity to win that game, but we didn't lose it because Bryn missed the kick. We lost it because we weren't accurate enough in the opportunities that were presented to ourselves. So um, it was great for you know like everybody, but in particular Bryn to get the opportunity after what would have been personally disappointing for him to be able to get back on the horse straight away um, and, you know, and put in a pretty, probably probably his best display, I think, in the Chiefs jersey um, under that yep. sort of pressure. So, you know, he was really, we've, we've always had a lot of, you know, um, belief in, in Bryn's um, ability. He's he's proved time and again that he's, you know, he's fairly clutchy. He, he normally steps up for those last-minute penalties and nails them or a drop kick. Or, um, you know, he's he's been a great player for North Harbour and other super teams, and they've had the benefit of his services. So, yep, look, he, he really took his opportunity yesterday, and that's that's what we want all our players to do is to make it hard for us to select the 23 and to put pressure on those outside that 23 to get better and perform when they get their opportunities. I'd like to ask you now about another player that maybe our listeners don't know a great deal about, and, and I'll be honest, neither do I, but have been incredibly impressed. I think there's a there's a real future there, um, and it might come quicker than what he's expecting, but Cortez Ratama, um, what's his background, mate? Because he's been bloody impressive at provincial NPC level, but uh, making that step up last night, he did not look out of place. Yeah, looking at uh, for his first... Um, look at Super Rugby, he made a real fist of it, didn't he? He's, um, look, he's a combative, you know, ultra-competitive young man. He's come through the Waikato, you know, schooling and representative um, sort of pathways. Um, when I was coaching Parapini, I remember him being an 18 and 19-year-old out of school and um, he was the best player in the park when we played him and he was just a kid and I thought, you know, like, shit, he's got a, he's got a bit of a future and... Um, Fortunately, you know, he chose to lay his, um, lay his hat with the Chiefs and, and a lot of other teams were chasing his services and I think everyone got a glimpse last night why because he's he, he's just an ultimate competitor. You know, he's one of those guys who um, he likes that sort of combative, you know, the, I guess the, the physical aspect of the game. And so he's, he's able to carry when, you know, perhaps we're a little bit stressed for numbers. He can buy time, but... Um, probably more impressive last night was just his composure and speed to ruck and delivery was really really accurate, which which helped us get across the line. So you know, he's a young man with a with a huge amount of um, potential and a big future, but also you know he's a grounded man. He, he realises that we've got a couple of other good nines that have been doing well when they've been given their opportunities. So there's no right of passage for him, but he made great fist of it last night. Clayton, um, the obviously you were missing a few last night as well, um, and and obviously we don't know exactly uh, where everybody is at, whether it's injuries or or illness, etc. But um, you know, one, how pleased are you that missing a few that you would have liked to have had, you managed to get this done, and 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 two, how close are you to having a lot of those guys back? Um, yeah, I, I think we're in a, a really good position. I mean, you never 
everyone would count your chickens before they hatch when, in this COVID world, you know, like you can have a fully fit squad and within the space of 24 hours you're going to be pretty decimated. So, um, yeah, hopefully we, we stay fit and healthy. But we've had a, um, a few dings and injuries, long-term injuries, and a few that have been dinged over the first couple of weeks of Super. But a lot of them I anticipate coming back um, this week. And then, yeah, the others that were... Um, that didn't take a part in this week's game because of the deemed sort of close context of confirmed COVID cases um, have since, you know, cleared. Um, they'll all come back into contention too. So we're getting to a really important part sort of halfway through the New Zealand League of, um, of the competition and you know, hurricanes away this week, Crusaders the week after back at home. So, you know, it's pretty relentless and the more bodies that you can have on deck, obviously the more beneficial it is to your squad um, and yeah, right now it's looking pretty healthy. Um, and hope long may it stay that way. Uh, well, thanks very much, Clayton. Um, I called you at the eleventh hour. You answered that call. It is your day off. Um, I really appreciate taking your time again. Reinforce what an impressive game that was last night, and equally uh, your success was well deserved. So thanks for joining us, mate. Enjoy the rest of your uh, Sunday afternoon. You can go away and have a beer now and relax, and, and that is well-deserved <laughs> beer. So cheers, mate. Oh, I might just do that, mate. Uh, you guys have a good day, and um, yeah, look forward to next week. Cheers. Yeah, indeed. Look forward to next week indeed. Uh, legend. Um, thanks very much for coming on. Clayton McMillan here on the uh, Rugby Run with Justin Marshall, Ricardo Ball on SENZ. Uh, with Bunnings Trade, we're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. It is coming up up us too. I can tell you that the Australians made 269 for eight off their 50 overs. Elise Perry top scoring with 68 and Leah Tahuhu top wicket taker uh, with three for 53 for the White Ferns. You can listen in on the app. Uh, or again here from 3 o'clock. But uh, when we continue the rugby run, uh, we're looking for your calls. 0800 150 811, 0800 150 811. Your takeaway from the weekend, or text us double eight double three two if you want to play Match Marshy and give us your player of the round. Yeah, this is the Rugby Run on SENZ. Ricardo Ball, Justin Marshall with you. Thanks to Bunnings Trade. We're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. And Marshy, uh, we like to play uh, Match Marshy and see if people can guess your player of the round uh, for the latest Super Rugby Round. I know we've still got a game to come with the Tars versus the Force, but I mean, so far out of everything you've seen, who's the player that stood out for you this round? Well, OK, I'll put it into context first. Um, OK. I was only sort of looking at the New Zealand teams, so <laughs> bad luck to the, the Drew and the Australian players who have impressed. Um, but uh, I'll give you my 3-2-1 for the week, mm-hmm. um, uh, the weekend so far. Uh, my number, my third most impressive player was uh, Tame Plumtree. I thought he was outstanding um, in the role that he he performed for the Blues um, and instrumental and scoring a couple of meat pies certainly helped his cause as well. Um, my second most impressive player for the weekend was Sean Stevenson. Uh, again, thought it was one of the better games I've seen him play. He was good under the high ball, defensively really good, containing um, you know the likes of Leicester Fyang Anuku out there and scored, again, two tries. And the, the finish on one of them was outstanding. But uh, my player of the round uh, this this time um, was uh, Bryn Gatlin. Um, we spoke to Clayton about him, and I thought uh, he was basically the architect and piecing together that win for the Chiefs. His goal-kicking was outstanding. For him to bounce back and uh, be flawless in that department shows the true metal uh, of, of, a, of a really quality player. But 
Uh, he had line breaks. He picked out the right players at the right time. His decision-making was outstanding. And when your general was playing like that, um, you, you quite often win games. And I think he was a big part of why the Chiefs won this weekend. So, Bryn Gatlin. He's the man this weekend. Yeah, I thought that was a really good shout from you, and and I I thought it was I was something that I was going to ask Clayton McMillan, but you you beat me to it. Was asking about Bryn and how he backed up, given you know if, mm. uh, a guy that was maybe not meant, as mentally strong might not have been able to bounce back the way he did after that missing that penalty against the Blues. Well, that's right, and you know you don't like it. I think I said it last night in, in commentary for Sky. I, you don't envy um, being a goal kicker. I, I certainly don't because. You live and die by those moments, don't you? You know, one minute you can be the hero and then quite equally you can can be the villain as well. Uh, you know, I think goal kickers have that enigma about them. Um, but, yeah, you're right. The, the true world-class goal kickers, uh, you know, they grab those moments and they execute them majority of the time. Sometimes they have uh, a, a non-favourable result, but they quickly bounce back. And I certainly think that Bryn Gatlin showed that he wasn't affected by what happened to him uh, at Eden Park, and and let's face it, and Clayton touched on it. Well, it didn't happen to him. It, yeah. it, it, it was the Chiefs that got themselves into that predicament, and and Bryn Gatlin almost got them out of it more than anything. So, you know, as as mentioned previously um, by many, and including the coach Clayton McMillan, they had other opportunities. You know, to land it on someone's shoulders like they did with Bryn Gatlin to try and get it in the dying seconds of the game sometimes isn't fair. Rugby can be a bit cruel, but yeah, he certainly was outstanding, and he had a balanced game. It wasn't just about goal kicking; it was everything he did. Yeah, no, I thought I thought it was a great shout. Um, uh, Sam from Whangaparaa texted through double eight double three as our player, uh, the match marshy player of the round. Uh, Sam also suggested Bryn Gatlin, but probably no surprise coming from North Harbour Country, Marshy. <laughs> no, absolutely. No, I um. I knew that quite quite clearly. I didn't have any Crusaders in my top three either. And, uh, <laughs> I would I'd cop some shit if I did. So um, you go, everyone out there. I'm not so biased, am I? I certainly thought that the uh, the two uh, the two Chiefs boys thoroughly deserved their their players of the round status and Stevenson and and Bryn Gatlin being the best out there. Yeah, I thought Stevenson. That's. Um... That punt downfield from inside his own twenty that landed inside mm. the the ten of the Crusaders that was that was magnificent. Yeah, it was, and I, I just feel that that was probably very close to the best game that I've seen him have uh, in in the jersey. And like the finishing qualities, we know he's he's got a knack for that. But you know, for them to contain that very very dangerous back three, like Sevu Reese had some moments as as did firing Anuku, particularly in the second half, but Will Jordan, like, to keep him quiet as well, that, that shows how well the Chiefs defended, you know, like, that's that's from from 10 out, you know, you know, Dubai was good, Anton Leonard Brown's an outstanding defender anyway, but Stevenson played his part in that, and, um, you know, he, so it was his all-round game, whether it was kicking, scoring tries, catching high balls, chasing, or, like you said, the odd... Um, Big long punt. He he was very good. Uh, another player I thought that uh, really stood up. He's I think he's done it two weeks in a row. Really is uh, Tupu Vai. You know he, he played uh, slightly out of mm. position at six against the Blues last week, and then slotted in next to Brody Retallick down in Christchurch. Probably the hardest uh, job there is to do uh, against the Crusaders, and and I thought he performed well in both games. I certainly think that they look better balanced with him playing second row, mm. and he complements Retallick really well. Like. What 
if, if you want, if you get the chance to rewatch the game, and this is hard to do, uh, this is to the listeners out there, watch the last 30 minutes and just try, if you can, as, as much as you can, watch Brody Retellick. Honestly, mate, that guy is an absolute machine. And I thought he would have been gassed and, and taken off with 15 minutes to go, yet he was still carrying, smashing blokes at the ruck in those dying seconds of the game. And then you add the way that he plays um, balanced out with the likes of Tupuvai, and he offers a, another set of skills. And, you know, he was instrumental in the first try where he offloaded in the tackle, had two defenders on him, kept the ball in play. I thought when he needed to, he, he did the hard carry. Um, and then he also um, showed his ability. There was a miraculous offload that he produced when the Chiefs broke out from inside their own goal line. So, yeah, I absolutely agree. I think he's found his spot, and I think he just needs to consistently play there now. Yeah, I, I think that's probably uh, a fair call, um, and uh, be interesting to see what Clayton does when Josh Lord's available as well. Man, what a what mm. a load of talent that they've got in, in, in locking stocks at the Chiefs. He's got some good headaches, though, hasn't he, Clayton yeah. McMillan? Like the... The, the guys that were missing last night, we've already mentioned the performances of, you know, the likes of Bryn Gatlin. You've got Josh Iwani there. Um, you know, you've got Lord and Tupu Vai and Retallick all vying for positions. You've got Jacobson to come back into the mix. Uh, yeah, he's got some, he's got Brad Weber to, to, to come back. You know, he's got some really good headaches uh, to have as a coach. It really is an impressive squad that he's built and players all um, out there performing and playing good rugby. So, Good, good, good headache to have. Very good headache to have. Um, I was going to ask you. You mentioned about um, Brody Retallick and surprised that he wasn't taken out earlier. I, I, watching the Blues game against the Highlanders, I was quite surprised to see. Yeah, and maybe your old mate Luke Romano. You can give him a bit. Of, uh, uh, you can ask him this question. But it felt like he only had to do half a day's work, mate. He got binned on the 29th minute, came back for a minute before half time, had another ten minutes to sit down, and then got uh, and then got subbed. I think about eleven minutes into the second half, he's he's hardly done a shift. <laughs> he found a bit a bit hard to get into the game, didn't he, Luke Romano? Um, and He's always in the game, you know, like he, he doesn't uh, go missing at any stage. When he's involved, uh, he's heavily involved in all aspects, you know, whether it's um, instrumental at lineouts. Um, he's a very good scrummager, Luke Romano, and we all know how uh, uncompromising a, a carrier he is of the ball. Uh, he, you know, he runs hard, he hits hard. So he would have been, I, I, I'd imagine knowing him, knowing him well, he'd been incredibly frustrated with the way that everything unfolded for him the other night because he he couldn't find a way into the game and when he found a sort of way into the game he found himself in the bin and then like you said he uh, he, he had had a bit of a spurt after half time and then that was that so um, look I certainly do see uh, why they invested in Luke Romano though again just when you see him in that jersey and he runs out there it's that hard nosed approach I think when they seem to lose their way in the past. The Blues, a player like that would pretty much grab a guy by the scruff of the neck and pull him back in line pretty quickly and get him refocused. So he's a very good signing. I've long said that Luke Romano isn't playing enough rugby down with the Crusaders for the quality type of player that he is. And and like I didn't think uh, forever um, that he would leave the Crusaders but I think it's been good for New Zealand rugby good for him and particularly good for the Blues that he has moved
Yeah, I think I think it's been a great move for the Blues, particularly. Uh, they they certainly needed something to replace uh, Patrick Tuipilotu uh, when he uh, went to Japan. It is 17 away from three here on the rugby run on SENZ. Ricardo Ball, Justin Marshall with you through till three o'clock with Bunnings Trade. We're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. When we come back, we'll wrap the round. We'll preview the Tars and the Force, and we might even talk a bit of Six Nations. You can give us a call 0800 150 or send your four thoughts through on the text machine, double eight double three. Yeah, 13 away from 3 o'clock here on the Rugby Run on SENZ. Ricardo Ball and Justin Marshall with you. Thanks to Bunnings Trade. Helping business is our trade. And uh, Marshy, of course, we haven't really talked much about uh, the uh, the games over in Oz, but you did touch on with uh, with Daryl Gibson earlier, the Drua. Uh, I mean, they ran the Reds close. I think everybody thought that was going to be a bit one-sided, but uh, they seem to improve, be improving week in, week off. Certainly. I was impressed and I thought that they were going to really struggle and particularly when they get challenged with injuries and depth. But, you know, they were very, very much in that game last night. Uh, They're a consummate threat when given opportunities and they get their set piece and their pattern right in terms of playing in the right areas. Uh, Their improvement's been absolutely outstanding. And what's really pleasing is the fact that they are not just the team that's going to run out on the field and you get a predictable result because a bit like you, I thought, yes, they're going to be competitive against the Rebels, against the Waratahs, um, but when they come up against the bigger sort of franchise teams that have been there a long time with great player depth like the Brumbies and the Reds in particular, um, they would struggle. But by hell, they proved everybody wrong last night with that performance, which was really pleasing to see. It was, mate. It was. It was great to see them um, measure up. You know, not just be a, uh, a peak mm. for one game, but to be consistent. Uh, what, what do you think's going wrong with the Rebels, mate? I mean, it's not like they've got um, no stars. I mean, you've got Andrew Callaway, who I think was Wallaby's top try scorer last international season. Reese Hodge, uh, Matt Tamua's obviously there as well. They've got a couple of uh, yeah. a couple of Wallabies forwards. What's what's going wrong with the, with the Rebels? Do you think? Yeah, I just don't think they've got their balance right in the way that they're playing. Uh, they're obviously looking at those players as being key uh, elements within their mix that they, they want to try and inject into the game. But it's I think the way that they're doing it, they're negating um, a, a real solid uh, pattern to play under. And subsequently, they, they, they look a little lost and they just can't get their mojo going. Um, I certainly think that they're a better side than the results are showing in some of the rugby that they're playing. So it's probably a time for them to sort of say, righto, what we thought we were going to be able to achieve game plan wise leading into the, the season, all the preseason work that we've done is not working. We, we need to reevaluate uh, how we inject players into the game, where we play um, and, and how we basically get good quick ball, which is what you really need. You need to be able to get good quick ball to then operate some of those key players into the game. So, I think it's a, a, a real uh, time for them just to wipe the, the slate clean and start again um, because at the moment they're only harming themselves because they're trying persistently to replicate what they want to do week to week to week and it is simply not working. Yeah, it's um, something you're definitely going to have to... I mean, the one thing that I, I I noticed, and, you know, I'm no rugby coach, mate, so you correct me if I'm wrong here, but it just seems like the way that they run their attacking plays is very it's, yeah. it's very easy to identify. It's readable. 
it is. Yeah, and that's exactly it. And I think what they thought was was going to be productive for them is bearing absolutely no fruit, fruit whatsoever. So they need to rethink about the areas and the zones that they're going to go to, uh, where they're going to use some of their key ball runners, uh, and how they're then going to get some pattern going. And that, yeah, at the moment, it's just too predictable. Um, and certainly do see the decision makers, the playmakers like Powell and Tuomua, are struggling with it because, uh, you know, the, the areas that they're hitting and the zones they're going to just aren't giving them any momentum. So, yeah, it's, it's a bold thing to do to completely scrap your ideas and, and, and rethink and, and remodel the way you want to play. But why wouldn't you? Because they're looking lost at the moment and they're not getting the results and they're struggling. So I think you have to be bold to, to move forward. And I think that's the best thing that they can do. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, because what it looks like to me at the moment is that they're running preseason drills. You know, like this is a hey, this yeah. is how we want to play, but they're not executing at pace. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I think uh, teams look uh, obviously they analyse the, the rebels and they make sure that some of their their X factor players don't get into the game, so they're quite heavily marked because they they don't have as many stars as some of the other sides. So subsequently. Those players are finding it hard to, you know, find their mojo as well. So that goes to show you, you know, the, the old cliche, it is a, a 15 or a 23-man game. It certainly is. Everybody has to work together to find and create those opportunities. And, um, you know, teams will analyse and look at your strengths. And if those strengths are just four or five key individuals in your team, well, that's pretty easy to D up on. It's like, right, I will just... You know, make sure that when that when they're running those patterns, that these players that they're trying to get in the Callaways, the Tuomors, um, you know, they they just don't get any time when they get the ball. They get a defender, and that seems to be what's happening. So they have to get the other 12, 11 players somehow into the game to help everyone else. Yep, yeah, that's exactly right. They've got a bit of work to do on that front, mate. And before we wrap, we just got a couple of minutes, mate. But I, I did want to ask you about uh, the Six Nations. Uh, Ireland get up over England today, thirty-two fifteen. Um, England have got France next week, so it's not going to get any easier. But how much credit do you give Eddie Jones after uh, for keeping Ireland to thirty-two fifteen when they lost a man ninety seconds in? Well, yeah, I think they they, they showed that they've they've got some ticker, no doubt about that, and. It's never easy when you're facing adversity like that. Uh, you know, the game, to a degree, is a foregone conclusion. And, um, you know, there have been miracles before in the past, but when it's that early in a, in a game, um, you know, the writing really is on the wall. So to stick in there is he'll be really pleased. Um, but he'll also equally, I know Eddie, he, I, he coached me um, at Saracens and uh, he coached against me. Um, and we, we had our moments, him and I, in, in the odd run-in because he's a competitive guy and uh, and that's what's made him such a good coach. And he'll be pissed off by the way that England are playing, um, the way that they're sort of inconsistent at the moment and the fact that they do lose a player early in the game. He, he will have some sympathy and there'll be uh, plenty of debate about the merits of it. But in the changing room underneath Twickenham, um, he'd be filthy. And, and uh, you know, these are important games where you have to have good discipline. And like Daryl Gibson said earlier, you know, you know the boundaries of the law uh, and you can't trust the referees to be consistent because they, they will have their moments where they're not. So if you roll the dice in that area, um, you know, you, you roll the dice big time and, and could face what England had to face. So 
Yeah, it doesn't get any easier for them. France are carrying on their merry way, although they had to work hard for, for their win at the weekend. Um, but again, what a great competition this Six Nations is. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. It's competitive and they're playing good rugby. Yeah, no, good stuff, Justin. Well, well done, mate, and well said. Uh, this has been another rugby run on SCNZ. Justin Marshall, Ricardo Ball with you. Thanks to Bunnings Trade. We're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. Currently, uh, the White Ferns six without loss in the second over of their match at the Cricket World Cup against the Australians. You'll have coverage resuming after this. Stuff for your face and body? It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com.